Buongiorno. Good morning. Questa era la, sin la sintesi del mio intervento perché mi hanno detto che soltanto devo salutare. Lo ho già salutato. Ma eh, sono felice di essere qui in questa occasione nella quale abbiamo organizzato questo convegno, mi pare che per la prima volta insieme con la Facoltà di Diritto Canonico dell'Università San Tommaso d'Aquino Angelicum e con l'Istituto eh, Angelicum Tomistic, Ange, Istituto Tomistico Angelicum o Angelicum Tomistic Institute. Non so bene se la dicitura è meglio in italiano o in inglese. Ad ogni modo mi pare che un'occasione splendida, una per mostrare che gli interessi della, dei canonisti eh, non sono chiusi in un, in un, non so, in, come in un buco no? nel quale solo entrano loro ed entrano a poco a poco, ma eh, il, gli interessi dei canonisti vanno, sono gli interessi per la giustizia, no? Mi veniva in mente a proposito di questo interesse per la giustizia che ci lega con tante altre persone, anche con il mondo giuridico civile, che la definizione di giustizia che da San Tommaso nella seconda seconda, se io non vado errato, è presa quasi alla lettera dal digesto, da Ulpiano. E, e, e accoglie appunto quella constance perpetua voluntas iusum quique tribuendi, mi pare, e che, è una, che pone una domanda importante, che è quella che ci facciamo, almeno con il titolo di questo convegno, che è, cioè se la giustizia è dare a ciascuno il suo ius, che cosa è questo ius? Allora la il concetto di ius in Tommaso d'Aquino ci ispira. La, ieri mi ricordavano che eh, ci sono pochi santi menzionati negli statuti della Pontificia Università della Santa Croce, si menziona San José Maria, si menziona il Beato Alvaro del Portiggio e viene menzionato anche San Tommaso come guida diciamo, dottrinale per l'insegnamento, senza niente togliere alla libertà di cattedra, di ricerca, eccetera, che tutti hanno. Perciò mi pare che anche se a volte, eh, mi diceva uno, anche è, è poco positivo questo congresso, cioè che significa che è negativo, Dice, no, che non va sulla legge, no? Effettivamente mi pare che è importante riflettere anche su quello che è dietro alla legge e al di sopra della legge, anche per e farci capire cosa è, con cosa stiamo lavorando. E ricordo che un giorno ho chiesto a uno che aveva appena finito, si era appena laureato in giurisprudenza, e parlavamo lì del più e del meno, e allora gli ho chiesto, ah ma che idea ti sei fatto della giustizia? Allora mi guarda, della giustizia? Nessuna. <ride> dopo 4 o 5 anni di studi di diritto non si era fatto nessuna idea sulla giustizia no, mi pare che questo è importante perciò eh, queste occasioni di riflettere su argomenti fondamentali mi pare che sono molto importanti ringrazio tutti gli organizzatori che adesso non saprei nominare per cui non li nomino però eh, sono veramente grato a tutti anche perché 
è bello che si organizzano le cose in due o tre soggetti organizzatori, però questo complica l'organizzazione, che bisogna mettere d'accordo due o tre soggetti diversi con i loro rappresentanti, per cui sono molto grato agli organizzatori, mi pare che come iscrizioni ha avuto un certo successo questo incontro e che spero che dia frutti, no? Io non parlerò più, per cui vi lascio alle, agli interventi. I've been, been told to say something in English. <laughs> The first thing that I can say in English is I'm so sorry because I'm killing your language and this is not a good thing to do in public. Anyway, uh, you are very welcome and I'm happy to be in this occasion able to deal, to share our uh, conference, our annual conference with the uh, Angelicum uh, in two, two institutions in Angelicum, the Faculty of Canon Law, the School of Canon Law, and the Domesticum, Domestic Institute. Uh, we are very happy to be able to offer this conference here today and tomorrow at the Angelicum. So this is good to have to keep in mind that tomorrow we don't have to come here, but we need to go to Piazza eh, Largo Angelicum, Largo Angelicum. Piazza Venezia today was uh, busy with the preparations for a march or something by soldiers or whatever, the army, I don't know what they are. I don't know if tomorrow will be the same. Anyway, you are very welcome. I hope the, the works of this conference will be uh, interesting and for, uh, and, okay, offering new uh, ways of approaching uh, use and justitia that are uh, very concepts very difficult to translate into English because I don't know if speak about law or about right or whatever, so you know, <laughs> but I don't. Anyway, uh, I'm very happy to have you here. Have a good day. I'm very grateful to the organizers. And uh, if you need anything, just ask we that are here in the organization. Have a good conference. Dunque funziona? Potevo parlare in francese, mi sarebbe molto più facile. E come siamo alcuni francofoni qui, potrebbe. La prossima volta nous parlerons aussi en français. Caro padre decano, caro, caro padre direttore dell'Istituto Tomistico, cari padri, cari amici, San Tommaso d'Aquino non era né un canonista né un giurista. Prima informazione del colloquio. Quindi ci siamo un po' in una situazione imbarazzante. Un colloquio proposto dai, canonista, dai canonisti è a prima vista sorprendente, come già il decano l'ha detto. Eppure 
Eppure il teologo domenicano non può essere tenuto fuori del pensiero dei canonisti, nemmeno dei giuristi. Nel presentare la virtù della giustizia, l'Aquinate inizia definendo l'oggetto formale di questa virtù che, secondo lui, è il diritto ius. Nella questione 57 della seconda, seconda della Summa Teologie, che apre il trattato sulla virtù di giustizia, egli fornisce una sintesi notevole sotto diversi punti di vista. Dal punto di vista storico, San Tommaso cerca di definire la virtù di giustizia nel suo oggetto ricorrendo a tutte le conoscenze che l'hanno preceduto, risorse ai padri, in questa occasione specialmente a Isidoro di Sevilla, alla legislazione canonica, seppe trarre argomenti dal diritto romano o dal decreto di Graziano, e specialmente anche delle determinazioni del filosofo Aristotele, così importante nel campo della sua morale. Egli tanta una sintesi tra queste fonti diverse, talvolta difficili, cercando di trovare l'armonia tra Isidoro e Aristotele, Aristotele, la rivelazione e il diritto romano. Da un punto di vista teologico, nel trattato sulla giustizia, San Tommaso determina teologicamente come la virtù della giustizia praticata dall'uomo possa condurlo attraverso la vita morale alla beatitudine. Essa integra in questo approccio anche la virtù cruciale della religione, una virtù cosiddetta anessa, una parte potenziale della giustizia che è alla base dell'approccio propriamente religioso e spirituale dell'uomo e che alla fine fonda anche il trattato sui stati di vita. Commentatori in meglio, come i commentatori della scuola di Salamanca, Francesco di Vittoria, Domingo Sotto, o altri meno fedeli, lo possiamo dire qui come Francesco Suarez, attingeremo da questi principi tomisti insegnamenti teologici e anche giuridici. <coughs> Quest'ultimo guiderà un'importante riflessione morale, specialmente Vittoria, della morale cattolica, che ricorderemo, per esempio, la controversa sugli indiani, in cui San Tommaso ha fornito anche argomenti, principi, su questa problematica. Anche, infine, da un punto di vista giuridico, definisce il diritto, lo ius, con una serie di elementi essenziali, un debito dovuto a altri secondo un'uguaglianza. Penso che le sentirete abbastanza questi giorni. E li distingue anche le diverse realizzazioni di questa definizione nel diritto naturale, nel diritto positivo, o la delicata determinazione dello jus gentium, anche parla del diritto domestico, che questo è meno interessante. San Tommaso inspira giuristi e canonisti, questo è il motivo per cui siamo qui oggi. Ci dà anche elementi di riflessione che possiamo condividere con i filosofi, con i teologi, specialmente i moralisti, ma anche con i giuristi in senso largo. Adesso passo all'inglese, allora perdonatemi. Essential elements in St. Thomas' teaching are still a source of inspiration and alignment today. The elements that we can retain in our days among subjects 
very debatating that scholars and jurists, natural right, right as objective reality, the relationship between, between law and right, right seen as a moral and essential reality linked to the question of justice, Aquinas can bring some solutions. But we must be careful not to take St. Thomas and carry him into our time at the risk to not understand him. We must first go to him and probably also get free of the ways we have to understand juridical and realities and problems. In receiving the Thomistic Congress last September, Pope Francis declared, I quote, Thomism must, be not, must not be a museum piece, but a never-living source in accordance with the theme of your Congress, Vetera Novis Augere, the resources of the St. Thomas tradition in the current context. It is necessary to promote, following Jacques Maritain's expression, a living Thomism, capable of renewal in order to respond to today's questions. In this way, Thomism advances in a vital dual systolic and diastolic movement. Systolic because there is a need to focus on the study of the work of St. Thomas and its historical and cultural context to identify the structural principles and to grasp their originality. Then, however, there is the diastolic movement to address today's world in dialogue so as to assimilate critically what is true and right in the culture of our time." End of quote. Because we are more or less volens nolens, impregnated with positivism and subjectivism visions of right, even in Catholic spheres, even in canon law. The world of St. Thomas in many ways is very different than ours on the reflection for right use. However, we must finally recognize that the contemporaneous vision of the right we can see around us needs to be questioned, interrogated, and challenged, not only because of the destructive consequence, but also because of the false foundations that undermine the juridical thinking. Quando sono arrivato qui c'era Piazza Venezia una dimostrazione con delle signore che gridavano abortion is a right. L'aborto è un diritto. Mi ha fatto riflettere. Anche loro pensano diritto. È un diritto. Per noi che cosa significa? Torno all'inglese. Positivism and subjectivism found themselves from the late Middle Ages connivences. Not to say complicities. These relations have been seen strengthened both in a certain evolution of thought, whether marked by the Reformation and the Erklärung, and by a technical vision of right and law, or not to say demoralized political practice. Also the rejection of the moral character of right, the reduction on natural right and its evacuation pushes back in a new way of conceiving philosophy of knowledge, promoting the technically efficiency in the juridical matter. Okay, then we are very fortunate to be here this morning.
to hear something different about right. We are two faculties, Angelicum and Santa Croce and the Thomistic Institute, who intend to be faithful to the teaching of Aquinas and the resulting tradition of the Catholic Church. We see that we can have different approaches. Here we have the legacy of the philosopher Javier Herviada, Molto Forte Qui, and also uh, for Dominicans, it's very important to be faithful to the theology of law contained in the Summa. But we can see in these days the different approaches. Ripasso all'italiano, se trovo la mia foglio, il mio foglio, per concludere. Inoltre, non dimentichiamo che quest'anno è un anno giubilare per San Tommaso e questo è il settimo centenario della sua canonizzazione da parte di Papa Giovanni XXII, un Papa francese, devo ricordarlo, è nato a Caor, vicino alla mia regione, molto vicino, dunque sono molto devoto a questo Papa, e la canonizzazione avviene il 18 luglio 1323 nella chiesa Notre Dame des Dons a Avignone, che adesso è in Francia. A quest'epoca era il luogo di residenza del Papa. Questa canonizzazione ebbe anche una dimensione dottrinale, anche se il santo non fu dichiarato dottore fino a, al Papa Pio V, Papa Domenicano, nel 1567. Le lotte dottrinali al momento della canonizzazione erano forti, forti in questo momento. Eh? E il pontificato di Giovanni XXII segna un punto di tensione molto forte con alcune scuole francescane, e specialmente sulle questioni politiche e giuridiche. Se non siete molto eh, al corrente di queste lotte, leggete Umberto Ecco, il nome della rosa, e capirete tutto. Dunque, eh, ecco il momento di iniziare i nostri lavori. Vorrei ringraziare la Facoltà di Diritto Canonico della Pontificia Università Santa Croce, il Rettore, il suo decano in particolare. Voglio ringraziare Padre Rasuis, Padre Popovic e Padre Sol per, la loro gran, per il loro gran coinvolgimento nell'organizzazione di questo colloquio. Ringrazio anche l'Istituto Tomistico dell'Angelicum, il suo direttore, padre Simon Gain, e il personale dell'Istituto per il loro molto grande coinvolgimento nella realizzazione di questa bella cooperazione. Dunque, su questo è finita l'introduzione e possiamo passare alle diversi interventi. Il primo intervento... Allora, Normalmente c'è l'applauso adesso. Ok, va bene. Ecco, così possiamo arrivare a trovare tutti i nostri documenti. Vi ringrazio. Allora, adesso ascoltiamo padre Petar Popovic, che è professore associato alla Facoltà di Diritto Canonico della Pontificia Università Santa Croce, e specialmente lui insegna questi corsi di filosofia del diritto, la fondazione dei diritti nella Chiesa, la deontologia del 
diritto canonico e ha scritto tanti articoli e anche libri noti su questo tema e anche specialmente sul tema del Ius. E dunque eh, lo lascio la parola per eh, 45 minuti, padre, a lei. Grazie mille. Eh, soltanto un avviso tecnico all'inizio, che siccome faremo alcune lezioni in italiano, altre in inglese, senza una traduzione simultanea, quindi abbiamo previsto le traduzioni dei testi scritti che potete scaricare online da una cartella che potete trovare attraverso un codice QR che dovrebbe essere dappertutto. Io ho visto diversi codici, quindi se volete consultare i testi scritti si possono trovare online per seguire più facilmente la, uh, le lezioni e la traduzione. Um, just one technical information. So since the, some of the lectures will be in English, others in Italian, Uh, and we didn't uh, provide the simultaneous translation. So you can find the written texts of all the lectures and translations in English and Italian on the conference website, which you can access through the QR code that is supposed to be uh, everywhere. So you can uh, easily find uh, if somebody wants to consult the written lectures. I also apologize for my somewhat rusty English. Uh, I will give my lecture in English. Each main lecture of this conference analyzes a different aspect of Aquinas' teaching on use in a way that is, in my opinion, largely compatible with all the other lectures, regardless of some small differences. My present task is to provide a sort of introduction by focusing on Aquinas' main texts concerning use, as well as on his sources. This lecture has three parts. In the first part, I will present Aquinas' account of use. In the second part, I will focus on his understanding of juridically relevant justice. And in the third part, I will present an overview of Aquinas' thesis that use and justitia constitute an important aspect of the human good. So the first part, what is law according to Aquinas? Law as use. If we could ask Thomas Aquinas what is law, or if we could somehow draw his attention to our contemporary debates on the concept of law or on the nature of law, his answer or contribution to the debate would be, and this is the main premise of my lecture, would be predominantly organized around his account of the term use, rather than around his account of the phenomenon of a legal rule, lex. Actually, if I could have the opportunity to ask Aquinas a few questions personally, one of these questions would certainly be, how would you translate the word law in Latin? This lecture is an attempt to identify aspects of his answer to that question as these are gathered from his own texts. For Aquinas, The term lex generally denotes an underlying rational order, ratio, that, quote, moves all things to their due end. This broad definition, broadest definition of law is from Aquinas' Summa Theologiae, Prima Secundae, question 93, article 1. This general characteristic of each instantiation of lex 
is captured in Aquinas' more specific definition of lex, well-known, an ordinance of reason for the common good made by him who has care of the community and promulgated. As is well known, Aquinas understands the concept of lex in terms of a hierarchical network of mutually inclusive and interdependent plural orders of law, which includes eternal law, natural law, and positive law. It is quite obvious that this framework organized around the term lex is too broad to provide the criteria for understanding the juridical or jurisprudential meaning of law in the broadest possible sense of this term. For example, the term lex denotes the laws through which God, quote, governs all the acts and movements that are to be found in each single creature. This is from the same question as before. The term lex denotes also the precepts of natural law, whose content is determined by, quote, whatever, whatever the practical reason naturally apprehends as man's good. The quote is from the Summa's Prima Secundae, question 94, article 2. The criteria for determining the juridical character of lex cannot be fully comprehended by focusing only on the phenomenon of positive human law either, since Aquinas firmly holds that it is not possible to grasp the central case or the focal point of human positive lex without reference to a higher legal order of natural law. According to a common assumption, the principal task of the so-called natural law theory of law is precisely to provide a suitable explanation of how the prior, broader, or higher standards of natural law denote the necessary moral constraints on the content of positive human law. Thus, the term lex does not seem to provide us with a full answer to the following set of questions. What does it mean to say that something, something, such as the things that are the content of a norm of human positive law, is juridical? What is juridic juridicity? What is the juridical phenomenon, namely this thing that is referred to as law at the highest level of analysis in English language, and which in other languages is called diritto, droit, derecho, recht, and so forth? Aquinas does not provide a systematic answer to these questions in the so-called treatise on Lex in the Prima Secunda of Hisuma, although, of course, he does consider the phenomenon of Lex to be somehow juridically relevant on all levels of positive, natural, eternal legal orders. Instead, he examines the juridical phenomenon or the essence of the term law at the highest level of analysis in the section of Summa's Secunda Secundae dedicated to the virtue of justice from the question 57 onwards. It seems that in Aquinas' view, the essence of the juridical phenomenon or of the nature of law is fully conveyed by the term use. 
I would like to propose that Aquinas' meaning of the term use is more general or higher than the sole reference to individual rights, duties to others, or legal norms. When Aquinas elucidates the properties of the term use, he seems to provide the criteria according to which rights in the subjective or more objective sense of duties and laws may be said to be juridical. That is, he seems to describe a broader category of what it generally means to envision something as juridical, the conditions under which we may claim that the juridical phenomenon or law at the highest level of analysis has, so to speak, appeared in human reality. Thus, we arrive at the central question. What is use for Aquinas? What is his candidate for the essence or the primary analog of the juridical phenomenon? Or said differently, in what aspect of human reality may we detect the basic features of that phenomenon called law? In short, what is law in? Aquinas is quite clear in his response that use is essentially a thing, res, in all its ontological giveness. The basic description of use is always ultimately thing-centered or ray-centric. Whatever its other properties may be, use is primarily identifiable as a concrete thing, reality, or state of affairs, even before its individual aspects are visualized as fragments of a larger whole from the standpoint of duties, of claim rights, of spheres of powers or liberties, or of the content of legal norms. According to Aquinas, it is necessary to enrich this thing-centered approach to law with an evaluative feature or perspective that enables us to grasp the concrete thing as use. This evaluative feature is provided by the virtue of justice. Aquinas starts his analysis of the virtue of justice in the Summa Secunda Secundae by analyzing use precisely as the object of the virtue of justice. Quote, justice has its own special proper object over and above other virtues, and this object is called the just, justum, which is the same as use. Hence, it is evident that use is the object of justice. This is from the Summas, Secunda Secundae, question 57, article 1. Thus, a thing, a reality, or a state of affairs, becomes use, and its ontological giveness falls under the scope of the juridical phenomenon once it is seen as the object of the virtue of justice. This is why Aquinas primarily and paradigmatically refers to use as the just thing itself, ipsa res justa. Quote, the word use was first of all used to denote the just thing itself. From the Summa Secunda Secundae, question 57, article 1, response to the first objection. 
Of course, this is not the only text in which Aquinas references things, objects, aspects of reality, acts, state of, states of affairs, themselves as the primary fabric of use. You can consult his other similar texts in the corresponding footnote in the written version of my lecture. But what about Lex? In Aquinas's view, Lex is not the same as use in the strict sense of the term. Lex non est ipsum use proprio loquendo, but an expression of use, said aliqualis ratio iuris, from the Summa Secunda Secunda, question 57, article 1, response to the second objection. Elsewhere, Aquinas will repeat that, quote, Lex is an expression of what is just, ratio justi est lex. Thus, lex, including human positive lex, does not participate in the juridical phenomenon purely on account of its social factual content, its moral merit, the authority of the lawgiver, or on account of its being identified by a legal system's rule of recognition of valid legal norms. Lex is not the same as use. These two concepts seem to belong to distinct conceptual domains, but the two domains are, however, interrelated, since lex is rendered juridical, ratio iuris, when its content and moral merit are seen, as Aquinas says, from the viewpoint of setting or reproducing the relevant terms of a relationship of justice. Thus, justice, together with use, its object, represents a standpoint from which the content of human positive law is evaluated for the purposes of its being rendered fully juridical, that is, for the purposes of its participation in the juridical phenomenon. A few quotations from Aquinas that support this thesis. Laws, legis, are written, argues Aquinas, for the purpose of manifesting both iuris, that is, both instantiations of the juridical phenomena, ius naturale and ius positivum. This is from the Summa's Secunda Secundae, question 60, article 5. Elsewhere, Aquinas notes that, quote, human law, lex humana, makes precepts only about acts of justice. And if it commands acts of other virtues, this is only insofar as they assume the nature of justice. From the Summa's Prima Secundae, question 100, article two. It is of the essence of law, de ratione legis est, he says, to be just, quod sit justa from the Summa's Prima Secundae, question 97, article 1, third objection. In sum, the juridical phenomenon, or the concept of use, is, according to Aquinas, first, thing-centered, secondly, justice-based, and third, irreducible to the concept of lex, though the latter concept is necessarily interrelated with the notion of use. Now, what are the sources of these Aquinas' arguments on the basic features of use. 
Aquinas's analysis of use as a thing-centered or ray-centric phenomenon, the thing itself as the ontological fabric of use, may be said to be influenced by at least two direct sources, Aristotle and the Roman jurists. In book five of his Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle employs the term to dikaion, a neutral noun in Greek language, meaning what is just, which refers to an objective reality that is just, rather than to a personal, moral, or virtuous quality of a just man. Aquinas identifies Aristotle's term to dikaion with use in the text in which he introduces his definition of the juridical phenomenon. The just, justum, he says, is the object of justice, as the philosopher declares in Nicomachean Ethics. This is the said contra from the Summa Secunda Secundae, question 57, article 1. Although Aquinas does not present other possible immediate sources for this argument, it is quite possible that he was, at least partially, influenced by the Roman jurists' understanding of use as a phenomenon that is paradigmatically identifiable in the things themselves. It is certainly Aquinas' understanding that the Roman jurists translated Aristotle's ta dikaion as use. As he says, quote, they, the jurists, Juriste, call use the very thing that Aristotle calls the just object, justum. This is from his commentary on the Nicomachean Ethics. In the Roman jurists' tradition, it is by starting from the things themselves and by subsequently following the relevant relationships of justice that we can attain the complete juridical perspective of what things res, belong to which title holders, according to which title, by whom should they be given or respected, in what ways, and according to which precise measure. This thing-based classical Roman jurisprudential tradition was subsequently articulated, probably at the time of medieval glossators, in the dictum res clamat domino, a thing calls out for its rightful title holder. Another important, direct, although tacit, source for Aquinas's thing-centered account of use might have been Isidore of Seville, who claimed that, quote, things are the fabric of our use. Res sunt quae nostra iure consistunt. From his etymologies. Next, the tradition of the justice-based approach to use, justice-based approach to use, is rather well documented in Aquinas's account of the sources on which he relies when endorsing that tradition. We already saw that he cites Isidore and Aristotle as the direct sources for this argument. In the Summa's Secunda Secundae, question 58, article 1, he cites verbatim the Roman jurist Ulpian's definition of justice, without mentioning Ulpian at this, in this text, which he then proceeds to analyze as fitting 
Justice is the perpetual and constant will to render to each his own use. Usum cuique tribuendi. Besides sources, which he explicitly mentions in this regard, such as Ambrose, in question 58, article 1, the said contra, there are other sources that were certainly available to Aquinas, but which he does not explicitly mention. For example, Cicero, in his work De Invenzione, which he quotes elsewhere in the Summa, and perhaps more importantly, Gratian, who in his Decretum argues that, quote, use is so-called because it is just, justum, as well as his teacher, Aquinas's teacher, Albert the Great, who in his commentary on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, both references a version of the classical Roman definition of justice. Redere uniquique quod sum est determinatur iure, and argues that use is the measure of justice, mensura justitiae. Finally, it is possible to rather easily identify the sources of Aquinas's thesis that use is irreducible to lex, that lex is a special case of use, and that use is the evaluative standard for lex. In the Summa's Secunda Secundae, question 57, article 1, response to the second objection, Aquinas references Isidore's claim that, quote, use is a general term and lex is a special case of use. Use generale nomen est, lex autem iuris est species. Isidore's argument on the relationship between use and lex seems to have become a long-standing teaching within the legal philosophical tradition of that time, the classical time, since it is also quoted in the Gratian's Decretum, quote, use is a general term containing many species. Thus, as Isidore says in Etymologies, use is a general term, lex is a species of use, end quote. The conceptual priority of use over its special case, lex, emerges with even more clarity in the Roman jurist's mindset, paradigmatically expressed in the following dictum attributed to the jurist Paul. Quote, a rule is something that briefly describes how a thing is. Use may not be derived from a rule, but a rule must arise from the use as it is. Non ex regula ius sumatur, sed ex iure quod est regula fiat. A similar thesis, interestingly enough, is present also in Albert's texts. In his work, De Bono, Albert defines lex as, quote, an ordinance that commands that which is just and prohibits the contrary, enacted with appropriate force. He then refers to the positive legal rule as a juridical law, lex iuris. I will conclude this first section of the lecture with a brief note on Aquinas's account of the so-called subjective rights, or the question of whether Aquinas 
had a precise conception of use understood in the subjective sense, namely as essentially a claim or a faculty, a power, etc., regarding something that the title holder is entitled to and that is in some way beneficial for him. Interestingly enough, in the central text where Aquinas presents the list of the important meanings of the term use, question 57, article 1, responds to the first objection of the Summa Secunda Secundae, important meanings that were commonly used in the juridical culture of his time, the mention of subjective rights is completely missing. It did not even make it to the top four meanings presented in this article. Now, I am aware of the line of argument of some prominent authors who emphasize that Aquinas may, in fact, be said to have sometimes used the term use in a sense that is unambiguously or predominantly subjective. The first author that comes to mind is John Finnis. Another author is our colleague and lecturer at this conference, Dominic Legg, in his important article, Do Thomists Have Rights? There is no doubt that the structure of use may be rather successfully transposed to a subjective rights framework that puts the title holder at the center of the jural relations and focuses on a superstructure of claims, faculties, and powers hovering above the thing-based nature of use. However, I believe that a broader perspective is lost when we reduce the concept of use or its essence to the framework of subjective rights or even to duties to others for that matter. We thereby lose touch with a tradition according to which use is meant to denote the juridical phenomenon at the highest level of legal philosophical analysis, broader than the sole reference to fragments such as claims, duties, or laws. In that tradition, use is conceptualized as a complex whole, identified by starting from the things themselves, together with their ontological identity, and then by moving through the applicable relationships of justice in order to arrive through the relevant duties of debtors at the persons who are the title holders of the thing and to whom the thing should be given. Moving on to the second part of my lecture, what is juridically relevant justice according to Aquinas? As we already established, the virtue of justice has a structuring role for the concept of use. This means that the basic properties of justice shape, model, the exact range within which the juridical phenomenon may be said to emerge. At least three properties of justice are considered by Aquinas to be essential for the correct understanding of this virtue as well as for the full grasp of the conceptual reach of use. The first property is outwardness. Justice is essentially oriented towards the attainment of a certain equality between the things themselves. Aquinas mentions the example of the payment of the wage due for a service rendered. Now, this equality is established, he says, 
without taking into account the way in which the rectitude of justice is done by the agent at the level of his purely internal dispositions. This is also from the Summa's Secunda Secundae, question 57, article 1. Aquinas firmly holds that justice is, quote, not about the entire matter of moral virtue, but only about external actions and things. From the Summa's Secunda Secundae, question 50, 58, article 8. Thus, the outwardness of justice and use is twofold. First, it concerns the thing that is apt to be constituted as use only in its outward or externally manifestable aspects, which Aquinas refers to as res exteriores. Secondly, outwardness concerns the qualities of the acts of justice, giving to each person his own use that transcend the agent's purely internal subjective dispositions, which remain irrelevant for the juridical world insofar as they are not somehow manifested outwardly. Aquinas seems to have inherited this attention to the outwardness of justice and of use from Aristotle. In the text where Aquinas analyzes the question of whether the acts of justice are about internal passions or about external things and operations, he opts for the latter solution in the respondeo section, while in the said contra, he quotes in support of his line of argument, Aristotle's claim that justice is about operations. The Summa's Secunda Secundae question 58, article nine. Another rather probable, although tacit, source for Aquinas's thesis on the twofold outwardness of justice may be found in the following Albert's argument from his commentary on Nicomachean ethics. Quote, the mean of justice is the mean of the thing because it directs with regard to external things, in rebus exterioribus, and the judge cannot judge with regard to internal things but only with regard to those things that are outward. A second property of justice is its other directedness. That is, the feature according to which justice is paradigmatically oriented towards another person, ad alterum. Quote, it is proper to justice to direct man in his relations with others from the Summa Secunde Secunde, question 57, article one, the most quoted article in this lecture. This means that when the focal point of the relevant relationships of justice is shifted from the things themselves that are the object of justice to persons involved in these relationships, the proper way to approach this relational framework, according to Aquinas, is to envision it from the perspective of the acting person who ought to attain justice through operations by giving tribuendi the thing in question to the title holder. Of course, we may transpose these relationships of justice into the viewpoint that takes the title holder 
as the starting point, together with his claims, faculties, and powers regarding the thing in question. That is, we may conceptualize the relational framework of justice in terms of individual subjective rights. It is important to know, however, that Aquinas conceptualized use as something that essentially belongs to another person. Justice, he says, denotes essentially relation to another. Ex sua ratione, justitia habet quod sit ad alterum. From the Summa Secunda Secundae, question 58, article 2. This other directed framework is different from that of subjective rights. When seen in the relational perspective of the acting persons, the juridical phenomenon is understood as something that is radically altruistic, something that is essentially perceived as belonging to other persons in such a way that it ought to be given to them through external operations. This altruism is built into the very concept of use, so that use is not primarily something that belongs to me and others should respect my relational sovereignty over the thing that is my use, but is rather understood as the correct and always other-directed end of my personal agency. It's another mentality, another mindset for Mars, from the mentality of subjective rights. The two frameworks differ in that the first amounts to a potentially, only potentially, individualistic, self-centered, and power-based concept of use, while the second resembles something that may be called virtue jurisprudence. Although the first possible source that comes to mind with regard to the argument on the other-directedness of justice is Aristotle, with his famous ad alterum argument in Nicomachean Ethics, in his analysis of whether justice is always towards another person, Aquinas quotes as his source Cicero and his work De Officis in question 58, article 2, said contra of the Summa Secunde Secunde. Perhaps more importantly, the very definition of justice attributed to Ulpian and later adopted as seen before by Ambrose, Isidore, Albert, and Aquinas represents another direct source for Aquinas's emphasis on the ad alterum essential property of justice, since this definition includes both the altruistic feature, jus sum huique, and the reference to the virtuous telic agency, constans et perpetua voluntas tribuendi. A third property of justice, so we have uh, outwardness, other directedness, and now third, obligatoriness. The virtue of justice includes a specific element of duty or debt, debitum justitiae, namely the duty of respecting through one's external operations the difference and the limit between sum and non-sum, that is the limits of mine as opposed to yours. This is from the Summa's Prima Secundi, question 66, article 4, response to the first objection. This limit was established by a prior ratio, 
paradigmatically by a ratio iuris at the level of divine, natural, or human law. The depth of justice is described by Aquinas as the duty to respect the sum of the other person. Quote, a man establishes the equality of justice by rendering to another his due. From the Summa Secunda Secundae, question 79, article 1. The specific obligatoriness of justice arising from the limit between sum and non-sum further specifies the conditions of the thing itself. It models the res, conditions that are necessary for its constitution as use beyond only its outward manifestability. Aquinas references to, refers to this further characteristic of the thing in terms of its becomingness, convenientia rei in seipsa, from the Summas Prima Secundae, question 60, article 3, its becomingness for being constituted as the object of justice, namely, its fittingness to be attributed as a sum, that is, as mine or ours, in distinction to yours or anyone else's, and its fittingness to be consequently owed or due as such by others. Not everything is attributable as a suum, and not everything is, constitutes the duty that belongs to another. The three characteristics of use, its thingness, its being constituted as the object of justice, and its irreducibility to lex, together with the three basic properties of justice, outwardness, other directedness, and obligatoriness, provide a rather accurate outline of the juridical phenomenon or use and of the juridically relevant domain of justice. Aquinas was very much aware of the possibility that the term justice be understood to denote virtues or acts that differ from the proper sense of justitia, to which I refer as juridical, or that have objects, virtues or acts, that have objects that differ from use. He acknowledges that the concept of justice may be extended, dicitur ampliato nomine justitia, to denote, in the broadest possible sense, all cases in which something due is rendered, whereby the term justitia comes to mean something other than justice properly so-called, justitia propria dicta. This is from the Summas Prima Secundae, question 60, article 3, response to the first objection. Among these, as he calls them, metaphorical or analogical usages of the term justitia are those that, for example, refer to the effects of justice on the internal dispositions of persons, to charity, to mercy or liberality, or to divine justice. Justitia, in the strict sense of that term, may be said to participate in all these other virtues and acts, and even to structure that element in them that pertains to justice, but only within the limits of the attainment of its specific juridical telos, 
or end. The third and the last and the shortest part of my lecture, justice and use as an aspect of the human good, but not less important aspect. Human virtues in general, according to Aquinas, render a human act, he says, and man himself good, and this, he claims, can be applied to justice. This is from the Summa's Secunda Secunda, question 58, article 3. But does the juridical phenomenon bring about an objective form of good that goes beyond its subject-centered flourishing and virtue's effect on the acting person? Aquinas's response seems to be in the affirmative. Justice, as the perpetual and constant will to give to each his own use, pertains to the domain of human intentional, intention, intentional action, to give. The will of the human person may be said to incline to use as the object of justice upon apprehending that this object, as Aquinas says, regards a certain special aspect of the good. This is from the Summa Secunda Secunde, question 79, article 1. Now, what is the good pertaining to the domain of justice that the will seeks to attain beyond the virtue's effect on the acting person, the agent that performs the acts of justice? Aquinas holds that it is the good that is brought about when each person is given that thing which is his due. The appetitive power of the will follows the understanding that, quote, rendering to another his due denotes an aspect of doing good, faciendo bonum, from the same article, uh, one of question 79, the secunda secunde. Thus, it may be said that from the viewpoint of justice, the will desires a justice-based form of good and actively seeks to vacate through external operations all the remaining potential that certain things or states of affairs have not yet been properly given to each person who is their title holder or otherwise respected. When Aquinas studies the specific good of justice, bonum justitiae, beyond the subjective effects of that good on the acting person, he envisions the aspect of bonum humanum that is brought about by justice in terms of an other directed good. Justice, he says, is somewhat the good of another person, bonum alterius, from the Summa Secunda Secunde, question 58, article 12. The other whose good is the object of the virtue of justice may be either another individual together with his particular good or a community of persons and its common good. What are the sources of this line of argument of Aquinas? Although Aquinas quotes Cicero's De Officis as his source, for the subjective effects of the good of the virtue of justice on the acting person, it seems that the main source for his thesis on the other directed, bonum justitiae, is Aristotle. As Aristotle says in Nicomachean Ethics, justice 
is the only virtue that seems to be another person's good because it is related to another, for it does what befits another. It is quite possible that Aquinas considered Albert's comment on this same Aristotle's argument to be equally useful in this regard. Quote from Albert, it must be said that this virtue of justice is applied to another's good, alienum bonum, insofar as it directs a man not only to himself, but to another. In sum, to respect through external operations the order according to which things have been assigned to their title holders, namely to practice the virtue of justice, denotes a way of attaining a specific form, a specific form of human good, which may be called the good of justice or the juridical good. From this, it is possible to conclude that use, the object of justice, participates in the good of justice, and thus in the whole human good, from its own peculiar thing-centered perspective, wherein the th just things themselves are seen as thing-centered manifestations of juridical good. In other words, more shortly, another word, another expression for use is juridical good, bene juridico. Therefore, the most fundamental legal philo philosophical question, what is law or what is law in, can never be detached from considerations of the human good. And the link between the essence of law and the good is established already at the highest conceptual level of analysis. Thank you for your patience. Grazie padre per questa così brillante sintesi delle problematiche che sono presenti nella presentazione del Just da San Tommaso, le sue fonti e le sue prospettive, le relazioni anche con la legge, con il diritto soggettivo, con il bene comune, questi temi che lei ha già ben trattato in alcuni libri, ma molto grazie per questa sintesi. Abbiamo Qualche minuto, se c'è qualcuno che ha una domanda precisa da fare, non un'altra conferenza, una domanda precisa. Si potrebbe, forse già dall'inizio è un po'... Ah, certo, già, padre. Buongiorno, Buongiorno. e ringrazio molto di questa... Uh, conferenza molto precisa io vorrei un chiarimento quando lei uh, dall'inizio ha parlato molto del thing centered come una componente della giustizia però in diverse volte in diverse, a più riprese ha aggiunto la parola states of affairs mi può spiegare che cos'è states of affairs thank you um, sì um... Non so se esiste una uh, traduzione felice della parola res. Uh, realtà, states of affairs, uh, is something that I took from John Finnis, to be honest. <laughs> so he translates this uh, 
use uh, as Ipsa used the argument as acts, states of states of affairs, and so forth. Mm, res è una realtà, sì, una realtà non materiale o non materiale che può essere un atto, può essere un servizio, una cosa, oppure una, uno stato di affari, oggett oggettivamente parlando. Questo sarebbe states of affairs. Però sì, forse non sono la parola più adatta per queste traduzioni, soprattutto in inglese. Quindi, grazie, grazie per la domanda comunque. Prendo le domande anche in italiano e in inglese, quello che volete. Father, you mentioned that justice is always other-directed, uh, outward. Is there any way that someone can practice justice towards themselves? Uh, for example, generally when we, we bring up uh, injustice, we say, well, we think that we're the victim. You know, we weren't given our due. Um, when mom's dividing up the pie or the, the ice cream, we're very concerned that we get the, the same amount as the other, as the other brother or sister. Uh, It's justice always to be, oh, I mean, is, would that be selfishness if you're concerned that you get your, your just due, or is that not justice at all, or just a vice? No, it's not a vice. It's a, a subjective form of speaking about relationships of justice, but essentially for Aquinas, as I said, and as I read from his texts, I did not, I think, invent this, justice is essentially other-directed. For us today, it is normal to speak about justice as, and rights as something that belongs to me because we are in a juridical mentality that is subject-centered and which is not necessarily bad. But we have to take into consideration also other aspects, not only uh, claims and something that belongs to me. For Aquinas, uh, justice is essentially other-directed. Mm -hmm. So it's another... That's why I drilled so much on, on this, because I think it's revolutionary for our today's context. Nobody thinks about rights as something that belongs to another, essentially, not to me, primarily, but to another. So, yeah, thank you. Qui? Thank you very much for your presentation. I was struck that you led with exteriority before touching on alterity, just because I've heard other people go kind of alterity, equality, precision. Um, and I'm just thinking in terms of our present context and how justice is often expressed dialectically or like a zero-sum game. Um, do you see resources in leading with exteriority as a good way to take some of the dialectical edge off the conversation or as a way to situate people on this conversation vis-a-vis -vis the common good, um, as, you, as you did excellently. I, I'm just struck by it. Um, I haven't thought about it, but yeah, the, your insistence on res exteriora, um, on operation as like metaphysically thicker concepts than just, yeah. So I'm struck by that, but I don't know if you, yeah, if you have a further word. Yeah, what, uh... If we want to capture what use or law at the highest level of analysis for Aquinas is, I think we have to start from outwardness. I started from outwardness not because I think it's more important than other directedness or obligatoriness. They are uh, incommensurable, or I, I don't know. There is no, it's not an intentional order. 
but it's something that maybe struck me the most because I think the polemics, at least in the faculties of Canaan law, are mostly based on how, what is the limit of law. So how much does law enter into our internal dispositions, for example, in Canaan law, in church law? That's why I thought it important to emphasize that law is, according to Aquinas, something that primarily concerns externally manifestable things and external operations of justice. Um, I cannot see how an a purely internal uh, disposition of a person can become uh, the object of a juridical wor world if it is not at least somehow externally manifestable. Mm -hmm. So this is the difference between morality, broader morality, and law as its specific moment, which I think that outwardness helps us to um, capture juridicity within morality, uh, among other things. But the first part of the question, how would it take the edge, outwardness take the edge off of some of contemporary debates, this is something that I really didn't yet think about. So that's why I asked you. <laughs> well, that's why I backfired with, a, with, a, with another question, because I really didn't. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's an interesting um, topic to pursue. Thank you. Bene, c'è ancora una, perché dopo... Thank you so much for your insightful presentation. I want to ask about the certain equality. You mentioned okay, that, right. uh, that, the, that is one of the notions of justice or the just thing. Equality between which things? Because when Aquinas talked about, for example, distributive justice, he mentioned things and equality with human dignity. I think that that is a very interesting inclusion of human dignity in the notion of, of uh, use. Right, well, human dignity uh, is not something that is purely internal and uh, it's something that has external manifestations and there, thereby it enters into the juridical, the juridical domain. So I think it can be perceived as a res exteriores, elements of our human dignity, so, uh, depending on the definition of human dignity or what is your, um, yes, definition of human dignity, but it can be seen as aspects of human dignity are objects of use, are, are use, may be constituted as use. Yeah? And that is why it can be, there can be a due to give to you these aspects of your own dignity in a juridical sense. Right, so. so we should not think about when Aquinas speaks about res, we immediately, when we hear things or cose in, it in Italian, we immediately think of material objects. So use is not only limited to material objects, of course, but also immaterial objects insofar as they go beyond purely internal dispositions and, and enter into the outward reality. Then they enter also into, can enter into the juridical world. Thank you. Grazie mille, thank you. Adesso è, è tempo di